Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Uh, today is nothing if it's not about the greatness of our God. So no matter what kind of week you had, a fantastic week, an average week, or a week that you wish never occurred, I got a word for you today, that God is bigger than anything we face in this moment. He's greater than any good thing you're holding on to, and he's more powerful than anything that's got a hold of you. And that's our word. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, if you'll open your Bibles to that. If you're visiting here this week, we're glad you're with us. My name's Mark. I get the privilege of being one of the ministers of this church, and we're glad that you've joined us to worship our God together. And we count that a privilege to have you with us, and we're glad you're here. Last week, Matt Gilchrist preached a message on the feeding of the 5,000, if you were with us. Told the story of Jesus had compassion on a group of people that had been hearing him teach and he'd been spending time with, and he called his disciples to find some food to feed them. And there were frustrations, there were discouragements, and what Matt taught us is that we have a God who does incredible things with impossible circumstances. I want you to see in verse 22 of Matthew 14 that we are connected to last week's text. This is, just because it's seven days later doesn't mean we're not in the same moment. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side when he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I want to read verse 27 again in case you tuned me out. Listen to what he said. Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. There is so much to do with this story. So many little things that I found in my research that I would love to just throw into your lap and let you play with it a while. But we don't have enough time. So what I want to focus on this morning is the authority of Jesus. I want you to see something in Jesus today that you may have already seen, but I want you to see it again. And if you've never seen it, I want you to see it for the first time. And I want you to play with that this week. But I want to tell you this. You and I will never walk on water if we're scared of getting wet. I want you to reason with me this morning. You and I will never walk on water with Jesus if we're scared of getting wet. So whatever your circumstances are today, I want us to listen to the authority of Jesus and find some hope in it. The very first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus' authority is purposeful. That he uses his authority for something greater than just being in charge. 
we fear people who are in power because we don't know if they'll use their power for good or for themselves. And we can find out that Jesus is good. You see, after he fed the 5,000, Matthew, Mark, and John all record this story. I've chosen to use Matthew's text. It's a little fuller. I'm going to highlight for you some things that Mark brings into it that Matthew doesn't, just as kind of some of the nuances. But they tell this story. The reason I use Matthew is because Matthew is the only one who points out Peter's, the end result of Peter's request. But after they fed the 5,000, the gospel authors tell us that they wanted to make him king. You see, they saw his compassion toward them. They saw his goodness. They saw his provision. And they wanted that kind of king, which is what kind of king you should have. People that rule should be compassionate. They should be providing and protecting. They should be showing signs of goodness toward all. And so when they saw this kind of king, they wanted Jesus to become king. And he deserved to be king. And yet Jesus knew that the disciples would be seeing what the crowd saw. And he wanted to protect his disciples from forcing his hand to become something that time wasn't allowing him to become yet. And so what Jesus does is he puts them in a boat and he sends them onto the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, which is just across the corner of the, of the sea or lake, whatever you want to call it. I want you to notice that the Sea of Galilee is probably 12 miles wide and about 16 miles long. And so he wasn't sending them completely across the entirety of it. He was sending them across the corner of it to go to Capernaum. It would be easier than walking it. It would take longer at night. It would be unsafe. So he put them in a boat and he sent them out. And he then, after he sent them out, he sent them into a storm. Now, this may mess with your theology, but I want you to understand that Jesus knew the storm was coming. It didn't catch him by surprise. He wasn't like, whoops, sorry, guys. He knew everything. And he knew that when he sent them out on that boat, that they would encounter a storm. Jesus' authority is purposeful, which messes with us, doesn't it? Because sometimes that purposeful authority means it's not convenient. Sometimes that purposeful authority messes with us. Sometimes that purposeful authority sends us into a storm. And this is where we see Jesus as his most powerful. I think if you've lived with Jesus as a disciple and a follower for any season of your life, you'll understand that Jesus is never more powerful to us than when we're more powerless. So sometimes he will send us into storms. And if that messes with you, please understand the reason Jesus can send us into storms and still be good is he's bigger and stronger than any storm. He has the authority and power to overcome what you and I can't. Second thing I want to tell you about his authority is that it is submissive. What did Jesus do while he sent them into a storm? Verse 25 says, after he sent the crowd away, he went to pray privately. Now, I'm an introvert. That simply means is I can spend all morning with you, but I will not spend all afternoon with you too. <laughs> After being here for three services on Sunday morning and talking to a lot of new people, my battery is empty. And I go home, and as the Lord commands, I take a nap. And I start a brand new day that begins about 2.30 on Sunday when this is all over. Not because I don't love you, but I just don't want to be around you all the time. <laughs> and that's holy because that's exactly what Jesus did. Did you notice? <laughs> He, he left the crowd, he went by himself, recharged his batteries, but, well, actually, he prayed. And that's going to play a part here that I want you to, to understand. Jesus' authority was founded on his relationship with God. And any hope that you and I have of having spiritual authority in our life, not bossing people around, but living by power, 
will come by the amount of time we spend in prayer. He knew that the crowd wanted him to use his authority early. He knew that the disciples wanted him to use his authority early. He knew that Satan wanted him to use his authority early. So he went and spent time with his father in submission to remind himself that God's timing was perfect. I believe that Jesus wanted to fix things now, but he knew that that was not God's plan. He submitted himself fully to God. He allowed for God to work in him. Even being God-man, he submitted himself to the timing of his father. How many of you still have an alarm set for 938, morning and evening? I won't ask you to raise your hand for this one. How many of you turned it off after three or four days? It's like, it's always inconvenient. Uh Uh-huh. See, I want to tell you that I want you, if you turned it off, to turn it back on. I want you to be inconvenienced by the fact that we are surrounded every day by people who don't know the truth of the gospel. We're surrounded by people who believe they know who Jesus is, but they've never really seen his authority lived out in their own lives. So they believe other people. You see, and I'd also love you if you've had an experience with your alarm going off, because if you weren't with us a few weeks ago, I asked everybody to set their alarm for 9.38 a.m. in in response to Matthew 9.38, that the fields are white unto harvest. Let's pray that workers go into the field and harvest it. And we prayed for two things. One, that we would be awakened to those around us who need the hope of the gospel. And then also that we would have an encounter or an interaction with someone who we know needs Jesus. And the stories that I've received so far, I'm going to beg you. I am honestly asking for this. If you've had one of those moments that was a God moment related to your awareness of the need for the gospel in people's lives, would you email me that? Just go to our webpage. Email me that. I've already received three or four fantastic stories of people who are like, you know, I never did this before, but all of a sudden I started praying at 9.38. I was even told last, uh, last week during this service at 9.38, phones went off. That's awesome. You can let them ring if you'll pray. Because here's what I want you to see. If Jesus had to take time away from the routines and the expectations on him to find time to be in the presence of God, to remember God's authority and be submissive to God's will, you and I need to also. We will never be more powerful than when we pray. And Jesus sought his power and his authority in those moments of prayer. But while he's praying... His disciples are fighting a storm. Both Matthew and Mark use language that tells you that they were rowing. Mark even uses the word that they were tortured in their rowing. It was so hard. The storm was so big. It was so strong. They were going into the wind. They were gaining no ground. They were exhausted, but they were obedient. They could have turned around and come back to shore, but Jesus told them to go, and he would meet them on the other side, so they went. You see, the last time they got in a storm like this, if you remember... Last time they were in a storm like this, Jesus was in the boat sleeping. And they awakened him and Jesus silenced the storm. He didn't silence it over time. He silenced it instantaneously. The wind stopped, the rain stopped, and the waves stopped. Not over time, but now. And they were like, ooh, that's awesome. But this time they're in the same kind of storm. and He's not in the boat. I believe the reason he put them into the storm was to tell them that he didn't have to be in the boat for them to be cared for, for them to be covered, for them to be protected. They were doing what he told them to do. It put them in an awkward, inconvenient situation, and Jesus did not have to be there for his sovereign authority to work. I think this is part of it. So his authority has a purpose behind it, 
and his authority is built on his submission to God's will, let's get to the heartbeat of it. The third thing about his authority is it's responsive. He's not disinterested. He's not disconnected. Even on a mountain praying, he's fully aware of what's taking place. So sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning, which meant that the inconvenience his disciples were going through was not temporary. This was long-term. They may have been on the water for as many as four or five hours at this point, struggling to get to the other side. Experienced men in boats, struggling to make it. And yet, it says that in verse 25, if you look at your Bibles there, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, I told you, it's 12 miles wide and 16 miles long. It's, It's a unique shape, and Jesus knew exactly where they were. You ever thought about that? This large mass of water. And he walked out to exactly where they were. Even though he wasn't in the boat, he wasn't unaware. He knew where they were. He walked right out to them. Does that give you any solace if your week's been hideous? If you wish that this week had never occurred and you could just change the channel and advance forward or go back and erase some choices you made? Do you ever wonder if in the middle of a storm God gives a rip about what you're going through? He knows exactly where you are on the water. He knows exactly how scared you are. And he's more interested in it than you are. And Jesus walks right out to him. The darkness and the storm weren't a barrier. The delay wasn't as long as it seemed, and his timing was perfect. Remember, Jesus' authority in our life is not always convenient, but it's when we will see him at his most powerful. For hours. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, and they cried out, It is a ghost! And cried out in fear. Both Matthew and Mark tell us that they cried out in agony. So they're, they're physically exhausted, They're emotionally spent, and then they see something walking on the water. Now, before we make fun of them, saying it's a ghost, would you presume it's a man? (laughs) So before we go, well, I know the end of the story, so I know this is silly. No, it's not silly. You're out on the water. You live your life on the water. You're a professional fisherman. You've never seen a dude walking on the water. And you've never seen a dude walking on the water in a storm. And there's a dude walking on the water. They also believed that the depth of the waters, and you'll find this whenever you read in the Old Testament, especially in Psalms, the references to the depths of the sea was a reference to the darkness and uh, demons and spirits. That's why one of the images, one of the beautiful images of, of Christian baptism, when it's done the biblical way in immersion, is to immerse someone into the water and free them from the water in a new spirit. So you can see the connection here. So if they believed that the water in the depth of the sea was this tumult and, and this evil and darkness, to see someone walking on the water would lead you to believe it's probably not a, a dude. It's a ghost. And so they cry out in fear, which I'm sure they all denied later when they were reporting it. It wasn't me, it was John, you know, something like that. They were panicked, they were disillusioned, they were fatigued, they were at their worst moments. Doesn't it sound like when most of us make our worst mistakes, when we're tired, when we're broken, when we're disillusioned, and we say things like, it just doesn't matter. Some of us are having that kind of week. And then Mark tells me something that's really funny. It's that as Jesus walked on the water to where they were, Mark says he was walking by them. 
Now, come on, think about that. All of a sudden, you see a dude on the water, and he's just walking right by the boat. And they said, they cried out to him, and Jesus says, it is I, which is a form, an interesting expression. It's the form of the term, I am. The Old Testament acknowledgement of who God was. So they cry out to who, who is it? And he says, I am. And they're like, oh, dude, it's him. But he's going to walk right by them. Now, is he not interested? No, here's what I want you to see. He's going to walk right by them because he knows that they're going to get to the other side. He doesn't have to get in the boat to save them. He is going to provide for them the entire way. Do you think that matters to somebody who's struggling in their faith to realize that no matter what storm there is, God knows he can get you through it? He can provide? He says, it is, I I am. You see, here's what I want you to understand. We can allegorize stories in the Bible. It drives me crazy sometimes when we do this. Michael and I talk about this all the time. He hypercorrects me when when I take it too far. So I don't want to do that here. But... I want to make sure that we don't turn this story into a how to, how to walk on water story. Because this story is not that. This happened not so you and I could learn to walk on water. It's to remind us who really can. And it's not you and me. Nowhere in the passage does it say that we were, they were, should have walked on water. They should have had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk the rest of the way. No, what it did is it acknowledged when someone came walking on water, they could not. And I think sometimes it's okay for you and I to read in the New Testament that only Jesus can, and you and I just need to go along for the ride. It's by his authority. It's by his power. It's by his might, not by mine. You see, I'm never away from the authority or sovereign control of Jesus. He's always got me. And church, isn't it good to have a God who's always got it? Because I don't think a day in my life I've ever had it. And yet I have a Jesus who, who even in storms, even in the most painful moments of my life, even when I'm distraught and broken and I don't know what to do, they cry out to him and he responds. He's going to walk right by because he knows he's going to provide them safe journey. And they cry out. I love Peter says, Lord, if it's you, after he just said it was, remember this is Peter. Peter's always qualifying everything. Jesus said, it's me. And he says, if it is you, can I walk? And I love Jesus' response. It's real simple. It's not frustration. It's like, oh my goodness. Jesus said, come. And Peter climbs down out of the boat. Don't you love how Peter can flip from fear to faith so quickly? One moment he's going, ah! Next minute he's going, can I? <laughs> Dude, I love that guy. Because one moment he's, he's scared to death. The next moment he's like, I want to do that. He's like a five-year-old boy. Now maybe we all ought to become more like that. He goes from fear to faith, and he's walking on the water, and then it says, he saw the wind. Well, how do you see the wind? Well, you saw the the waves, and you feel the mist, and you hear the sound, and Peter's walking toward Jesus on the water, and then he says to himself these words, I shouldn't be able to do this. Do you know how many Christians, former Christians I've known in 30 years of ministry who used to walk with Jesus and now say, I shouldn't be able to do this. And so they stop and they sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down. It says immediately, he picks Peter up and he sets him in the boat and instantly the storm passes. It stops. 
Just like the waves stopped the first time, it stops this time. Not because the storm was over. It was in the midst of the storm, and Jesus calmed the storm to show them, I've got this. No matter what storm you're in, Jesus is bigger than the conditions you face. He's more powerful than the thing you're holding on to as your power, and he's more powerful than the thing that's got a hold of you. You and I can't walk on water, but Jesus can. So when he pulls Peter out of the water, he says to him in verse 31, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? How do you take that? Is he scolding him? Is he making fun of him? I think you need to define that, and your definition will come by the way you read it. Was he angry? Was he expressing disappointment? Or was he speaking to Peter like a parent would speak to a toddler who's learning to walk for the very first time? Think about each one of us at the age of 10 months or 11 months or 12 months or some of us who had older siblings that never let us walk three years. You know, when you first learned to walk. What if happened with the first time you, your chubby little legs would have taken two or three steps and you just got out of balance, you wiped out if your parents went, whoop, guess that one won't. What, if, what does good parents do? They cheer you on. They say to you, you did it. Keep going. You can do it. Get up. You can do it. You can do, you can do this. I think Jesus was saying to Peter, oh, Peter, why'd you let doubt in? You have little faith. You had it. Remember what he said about little faith? Little faith wasn't a negative. He said the kingdom was going to start something as small as a mustard seed, and it was going to grow into this huge plant that the birds of the air rested in. He's saying to Peter, you did it. Now get up and do it again. Don't let doubt enter in when storms come. Because no matter what you're holding on to, it won't be as powerful as Jesus. No matter what's holding on to you, it won't be as powerful as Jesus. So he puts him back in the boat, and the wind stopped, and the storm stopped. You see, when Jesus walked across the water, I've always looked at the disciples and went, yeah, this is just something that you never expected to happen. And then I did some research in the Old Testament. I was wrong. In Habakkuk, it says, you walk through the sea, through the heap of great waters. Job 9.8 says, he treads upon the waves of the sea. In the Old Testament, they talked about God doing this. That the, the fear of the depth of the waters wasn't too much because our God would never have to go into the waters. Our God would walk on the waters. So that day when Jesus walked out there, after spending time with the Father, they wanted to make him king. Remember? He, he sent the disciples away because they wanted to make him king before it was his time. And he went into the mountains so that the crowd would not try to make him king before his time. But here's the good news. He was already king. Because he came down the mountain and he walked on the waters just like the Old Testament prophet said the king would. He would step through the sea, through the, the heap of great waters. He would tread upon the waves of the sea. This Jesus. This is who we're here for today. We're glad you came to Christ Church of Orinoco, but what in the world is Christ Church of Orinoco? We came into the presence of Jesus. And we gather in this place for one thing, that by the name of Jesus, the storms stop. By the authority of Jesus, the demons are held back. By the name of Jesus, everything is under his control. His authority has a purpose in our life. His authority brings submission into our lives. And his authority is reactive, to what we're in, what we face, and where we're headed. 
Some of us today are followers of Jesus who quit following. If you're honest in your soul, a storm wiped you out because Jesus wasn't in the boat with you, because you couldn't see him in that moment. You thought he abandoned you. You thought you did something wrong. You thought you were disqualified. And so you stopped following him because the storm became bigger than the God you were worshiping. And for some of us, you've never followed Jesus for a moment because it hasn't made sense to you. You use too much of your own life to clean up. There's too many details that you gotta get figured out. But listen, if you believe that you have to be the right kind of person to be a part of a church, let me introduce you to this church. Because with no disrespect, if you looked around, this is the largest group of jacked up people you'll ever sit in. I mean, we're just a mess. But Jesus is bigger than anything that controls us. He's bigger than anything that makes us fearful. And you're welcome here. But I want to tell you that you're welcome here to follow Jesus. And then the rest of us might make sense. Without Jesus, this is just a weird group who do, who do weird things for an hour every Sunday. But when you get Jesus right, and when you see Jesus for who he is, you'll know that you fit into his kingdom and just get yourself in the boat, even if it's in a storm. And Jesus will deliver you to the other side, exactly like he said he would. And that journey together will be difficult and sometimes awkward. But by the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority of Jesus Christ, by the holiness of our God who took on flesh and came to this world to die for us on a cross so that we would not only escape sin's penalty, but we would live a full life for the kingdom, building the kingdom. Remember, this story is not teaching you to walk on water. It's showing you who really can. Wouldn't you want to follow him? And if you have any interest at all in being a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Because I don't have time now to tell you all the reasons why I think each one of us should. But I'd love to share with you why I do. And there's a bunch of us here at the church on staff that would love to have a conversation with you to help you see what it means to walk by faith in Jesus Christ. That's who we're here for today. That's who we worship. And that's who we're going to praise. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.